What's going on, Dodgers Nation? DMAC here. We are live here at Camelback Ranch for Dodgers Spring Training. And, of course, to my left, this is Mr. Noah Cameras. You know him. You love him. He writes for your Dodgers, for Dodgers Nation. Go check all the stuff. Follow him at Noah Cameras. And it's an exciting time to be out here. And just kind of the first takeaways. You can feel the buzz. Baseball's in the air. Otani's in the air. And it's really an exciting time to be a Dodger fan. It's so exciting. I mean, you kind of just feel the energy at Camelback Ranch right now. You know, I mean, obviously we're not there at this moment in our hotel, but you kind of just feel the energy in Arizona, just walking around. You know, Shohei Otani is in the area, and the Dodgers have a lot of hype around them right now, and rightfully so. So it's really fun to be here. We're very excited to kind of see what it's like at Camelback Ranch. We're having a great time so far, and yeah, there's just some good energy right now. Yeah, we are here in our hotel room because Camelback Ranch is not open today. It's an off day for the Dodgers, but we will be at the GM meetings. We'll see Brandon Gomes. We'll see Dave Roberts there, hear what they have to say. And really the talk of camp last couple days has been Shohei Otani, whether it's just standing in for pitches with Emmett Sheehan, whether it's live BP yesterday. He saw a lot of pitches early with Ryan Brazier. And apparently Blake trying to look really good against him, but he takes JP Fireisen. Deep, I like what Fireisen said yeah. in the clubhouse, saying, look, it was a fastball, or with Millie, <laughs> hit it up for a home run. So, hey, here's the thing. Like, I would not feel bad about giving up a home run to Otani. Maybe it's, if it's another player that's not like Otani, but still, I think that the excitement, the electricity, it's in the air. And he's looks he looks like he's primed ready to go for Seoul. Yeah, I mean, kind of like... Evan Phillips said to J.P. Fireisen, he was like, honestly, go ask him to autograph that ball. Like, that's that's good news. That's great news. Um, we got a little, little, little low volume, so we'll speak a little louder. Um, but that's great news, if anything, to get a home run off of time. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's not it's not a bad thing at all for him to hit a home run off of you. And, yeah, I mean, he looks like he's in great position to be ready for Seoul. He's not going to start on Thursday in spring in cactus league play. We don't know when he's going to get on the field initially, but he's going to play at some point. And yeah, it sounds like he's going to be ready for opening day, which was his goal. What he said at FanFest, he said, my goal, I'm confident ready for opening day. And they just need him to DH for opening day. So it sounds like he'll be ready for that. And he's just doing it at his own pace, but great to see he already took live BP. Yeah, I think that's the really spectacle of it all, right? It's not about, okay, Otani's hitting this many home runs. It's batting practice. How many times in years past have we been talking about batting practice? Have we been talking about Mookie or Freddie's batting practice? But it just happens to be Shohei Otani. We are actually talking about it yesterday on the way here. Is it's going to be the same experience next year seeing him throw BP, throwing live BP. So, hey, this Otani stuff, it's going nowhere. I hear Angel fans out there, people around Major League Baseball, getting a little Otani fatigue, getting sick and tired of all the Otani media coverage. Hey, this is why I say we're making up for lost time. We're trying to do in a month, two months, what the Angels couldn't do in six years. He's finally getting the coverage that he deserves. I mean, have we ever seen, like, one of those, like, Otani BP videos from the Angels, like, during spring training? Like, have you ever seen those cool angles that Sue Joe and the Dodgers social media are posting? Like, these are things that MLB fans have been craving for. Like, when, when people said that it was good for baseball that Otani came to the Dodgers, there's a million reasons why. But one of them was he would be on a national spotlight. You know, he'd be someone that fans actually get to see on an everyday basis, tons of content. And the Dodgers are doing their job. They're posting him multiple times per day. They're letting fans see, you know, on Dodgers Nation YouTube channel, we got his BP every day. Like, we are making sure that fans get the Otani coverage because he is the best player in baseball. He could go down as one of the best players in baseball history. So why wouldn't this man be on center stage? I love what we're getting right now. Absolutely. And I think that it's not only having an impact on Dodgers fans who are just hungry and anything Otani-related is popping up. You're seeing videos, him standing in, not great <laughs> angles, not great quality, 70, 80, 90,000 
for a Otani batting practice video. It just shows you the magnitude. It shows you the star quality. Look, give me Otani taking swings. Give me Otani standing in. Little. Got the camera following you. Oh, I got the camera. Okay, well, <laughs> this is a very high-tech camera that's following me a little bit. But, uh, yeah, the camera's following me like the camera's been following Otani for the first yeah. eight or nine days they of Dodgers spring Otani training. They, th they think I'm Otani. The 360 happening with the follow gang. There we go, guys. Yeah, yeah we'll get it together. But, yeah, I mean, the most important thing, the only thing to take away from this is how good the swing looks, the mechanics. Everything looks like, okay, this is the guy that can hit 40 to 50 home runs. Yes, he's not going to be on the mound, but as a DH focusing solely on hitting, I think this is somewhat still. I know it's tough to from the easy. Let's see he hits 60 bombs, right? Let's see he do something on that level. Maybe wins MVP, but just the energy is palpable. All things Otani. His BP was better than the entire All-Star weekend for the NBA. I mean, let's be I mean, honest. Yeah, I mean, Otani said, was it last week, a few weeks ago, that he wants to add several levels to his offensive game, you know, now that he is not pitching this year. Um, steal more bases. I mean, these are all things that he's going to do this year because he's not pitching, and it's very exciting to see what is going to come. And, yeah, I mean, the energy is there. Anything Otani does is exciting. He didn't speak after his live VP yesterday. Camelback Ranch is closed today. Hopefully he speaks tomorrow. Doug and I will be there. So if he speaks, anything he says, we'll have coverage of that on the Dodgers Nation YouTube channel and DodgersNation.com. But, yeah, it's very exciting. And I feel like it's going to take a long time for people to get sick of Otani. I mean, it's going to take a very long time. It doesn't get old. It does not. Seeing number 17 uh -huh. in Dodger Blue is not getting old anytime soon. That's a great point. No, and I think also just to add to that is one thing I'm curious to ask Doc, ask some of these players, is how do you create that chemistry? And can he be, quote, unquote, one of the guys, right, just chopping it up in the clubhouse when he's such a huge star, when you have the Japanese media, you have all the attention surrounding him. But just from seeing some of these videos, I think the Japanese media has done a great job posting tons of videos and giving you an inside glimpse of what it's like to just see him on the field when the cameras aren't on, per se, when it comes to like an interview, right? And him just constantly having a smile on his face, playing with Charlie Freeman, remembering his name, meeting Mookie Betts, his wife. It feels like he feels and knows this is home for the next 10 years. And I'm going to win my World Series championships with the Dodgers. And it definitely can feel that family atmosphere. And I think that for him, it's just just taking advantage of everything the Dodgers have to offer as far as resources just to get him to the next level, like you said. But really the big story here, Noah, yesterday, outside of Otani, has to be – there you go. Try to get that camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got the Insta360 rock and rolling. But, yeah, let us know down below in the comment section. What are your early takeaways from Shohei Otani at Dodgers spring training? I'm saying to myself, all these fans out there crying, oh, too much Otani. You guys are force-feeding Otani. Look, if he was on your team, you would be watching wall-to-wall -wall coverage all day, every day. We got some comments here. Love you, DMAC. Love you, Jimmy. Thanks for rocking with us here. We got like six, smash that like button. Yeah, absolutely smash that like button. By the way, just a reminder here, subscribe to the number one Dodgers YouTube channel, number one show, Dodgers Dugout Live. And also, if you want to be eligible for our giveaways, you have to subscribe and comment Yama Mania down below. Might as well transition, get some quick thoughts on that because Yama Mania, I think, if you can stay healthy, is going to be a thing. I think there's no doubt about it. His stuff's going to translate from the NPB to MLB. I love that Freddie Freeman came up to him, asked him how you say incredible, because that's how he felt he was. And just to impress in front of your peers, in front of your new teammates, that aren't just your regular guys. They're not even just all-stars. We're talking about future Hall of Famers, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman. You have Dave Roberts, all these 
all-stars around the league just have that success. I think there's a bit of a weight lifted off his shoulder. He's got that one out of the way, and I'm excited for this year for Yamamoto. Yeah, I mean, have you ever been more excited seeing a bullpen than watching Yamamoto? Has there ever been more excitement around a bullpen than there was around Yamamoto? I mean, this is a $325 million man who's never thrown a pitch in Major League Baseball. This is his first time throwing to, you know, MLB hitters, and he was just lights out. I mean, he was whipping them by Mookie. Freddie Freeman said he looked incredible. All the hitters were just saying, like, this guy's going to be a problem, and Freddie's like, this, I mean, he said opponents are going to have a problem facing Yamamoto this year because of how good his stuff is, how variety of stuff he had. I mean, it was incredible to watch. Yeah, I mean, you said it best that it wasn't just a bullpen. It was his first live bullpen as a big leaguer. We have not seen him throw a pitch. And for an organization like the Dodgers to make him the highest paid pitcher, surpassing Garrett Cole, without having thrown one pitch at the big league level, that tells me everything I need to know about how good he is and his potential and his ceiling. And there have been a lot of great Japanese pitchers throughout the years, the Darvishes, the Tanakas, the Otanis. He was better than all of them by a mile at the NPB level. I mean, you're talking about the second best league on the planet, a 121 ERA last season, three MVPs, three Sal Moore awards. If it weren't for Otani, he would be the big talk, not just of baseball, and not just the Dodgers, but of entire spring training, just the phenomenon that he has the potential to be. No, I mean, it is insane that the Dodgers have not won, but the two best players from free agency, the two best players from Japan, and yeah, the fact that Otani's not pitching this year, I think highlights Yamamoto even more, because now Yamamoto is the pitcher. I mean, he is the guy in the rotation. Otani's going to be there next year, but this year, it's Yamamoto, so he has all eyes on him, and yeah, there's a lot of question marks about him just in terms of, you know, we haven't seen him in the MLB before. There is a transition with the, you know, slightly different ball, only pitching once a week, so there is a lot of excitement around him. But at the same time, yeah, I feel like it's almost nice for him to not have all the attention on him because Otani's there. So it is a little better, a better of a transition, but it is going to be absolutely amazing to see him pitch. You know, I think he's on track to pitch one of those Korea games. Obviously, they're going to work around that for the next month or so. But, you know, him having one of those Korea games with Otani in the lineup, I mean, that is going to be as exciting as it gets for Dodger fans, for baseball fans, for fans in Japan. I mean, there's so much to go around it. But, yeah, Yamamoto is just as exciting as Otani, especially because he's going to be the ace of this team for – 12 years. I mean, there's a long time where he's going to be the ace of this team. So very, very exciting stuff with Yamamoto, too. And yeah, I fixed my audio, guys. Don't worry. I'm speaking into the right side of the mic over here. There so, we go. So there we got go. this going. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that's a fantastic point as far as just this is someone who, as a pitcher, is going to get the spotlight on the mound. Almost if Otani could pitch this season and hit and you sign Yamamoto, he'd be a little overshadowed because any player is going to be overshadowed by Shohei Otani. But the fact that he gets to be that guy that just toe the slab in one of those first two games in Korea, you almost hope for his sake that it isn't the first game just because Otani gets all the shine at the plate as the DH in the first game, and then it turns to Yamamoto. I think that, look, he's someone that you invested so heavily in. He already looks good. Why beat around the bush? I mean, he has to be your game one start. I mean, we'll see how things play out. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense for him to not start that game one, and I want to see Glasnow start that game, too, if we're going to be talking about Korea. But, yeah, I mean, it is – I mean, he, you paid him $25 million. He's going to be your ace for the next decade plus. Why not throw him out there in Korea? Um, and the interesting what came out today about Yamamoto is the Phillies actually offered him a bigger deal than the Dodgers offered him. So we knew that the Mets matched the 12-325. We knew that the Yankees offered 10-300 which is higher AAV, but the Phillies offered more than $325 million, so the Dodgers made him the highest-paid pitcher in baseball history. The Phillies were going to make him even higher-paid pitcher in baseball history, which just shows the kind of talent, the kind of 
untapped potential in this guy. I mean, this guy won three straight Sawamura awards. I mean, he is absolutely going to be a star in the league. I mean, Dave Roberts said he expects him to be a frontline starter for years to come. So, but yeah, I mean, the fact that the Phillies offered him more than 325, I mean, clearly this guy was a highly sought-after free agent that the Dodgers were lucky to get. Yeah, and that's why I think so many fan bases out there are so frustrated with the Dodgers because not only do they get this top-shelf talent, you get the most coveted superstar in baseball history in Shohei Otani, but you get him with a lot of deferred money. 93% of his contract is deferred. You save on that end. You pay him $2 million a year. The AAV comes out to $46 million against the CBT. That's ridiculous. They're going to profit off of that contract. Ladies and gentlemen, they're going to profit off giving a guy $700 million. Yes, it's not $700 in present-day value, but even if it's $460, it's still a top deal. We consider the sponsorship, the marketing, his production. I mean, his value, if one war is $8 million and he's a 10-war player, He's really an $80 million player game for $46 million. But to your point on Yamamoto, that speaks to, one, I think that it, there's the Otani effect there. He wanted to play with the team that Otani was on. Two, something about L.A., something about the Dodgers. I know everyone said a couple months ago when he was at a courtside Laker game that it meant nothing. It does mean something. The Japanese community in Los Angeles is huge. He's someone that embraces the nightlife more, embraces just being in the spotlight a little more. And – for as much money as they gave him, you can make the case, like you point out, the Phillies, the Mets, the Yankees, I think, would have probably, if they're at the five-yard line, maybe would have pushed it past the goal line if they thought they could get him for that price. You could still make the case the Dodgers got him at a slightly discounted friends and family discount because of Otani, because of the Dodgers, because they know that, hey, it's a comfortable situation that he can thrive in. Yeah, and then just you think about the things that Otani and Yamamoto said in their introductory press conferences, what they've said at FanFest. This Dodgers organization, like, it's more than the money. It's more than whatever. They know how to win. They know how to develop players. They know how to draft. They know how to scout. They know how to do all these things that is just – when you look at a team, like, that's what you want to join. Like, Otani said – Otani in his um, inter er, interview with the team, whatever, he asked – about their scouting, their development, their drafting. He wanted to know about all the intricacies of the organization because he wants to know how much his organization cares about winning. And, you know, Otani with the Angels, it's almost like a total, like, 180 in terms of yeah. how much money they put into the organization. They not don't have a fan fest. They don't have a fan fest. They don't have a fan fest. It's not just the players. It's how much money they put into everything, whether that's, you know, scouting, development, you know, even the broadcasting. I mean, everything that the Dodgers do is like a hundred times more than what the Angels did. And Otani noticed that, and he wanted to be a part of the organization. And Yamamoto's the same way. I mean, everyone kind of thought the Yankees or the Mets, East Coast, because Yamamoto wanted to be, quote, the star of his team. And that was kind of like the big thing about him in free agency. But then he goes to be the kind of second fiddle to Otani, but he's okay with that because of what the Dodgers organization is doing. And he knows that they want to win. He knows that, you know, the last 11 years, one World Series, a failure in their eyes. And that speaks to players who want to win. And these are two guys who want to win more than anybody. So to have them on the same team for the next 10 years, yeah, the excitement right now is just absolutely insane. Um, and being at spring training is really fun and very excited to kind of see Otani in person, kind of see what that feel around. I mean, when he walked out at FanFest, like, it, it honestly felt like the air shifted. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but the air shifted when Otani walked out for his interview just because the aura around this man. I mean, it's a $700 million man. He's earned every penny. He deserves every penny. So it's very exciting. And then, yeah, second fiddle, if you want to call Yamamoto. I mean, it's hard to call $325 million man second fiddle. But I think he's okay being in that role. And again, like I said, he gets to pitch this year. Otani's not pitching this year. So Yamamoto is the ace. Yamamoto is the guy. He's the pitcher. Otani's the batter. All that kind of stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. No doubt about it. And I think that's really the big thing right there is just a franchise that's really been the – 
the bridesmaid too many times, right? Not the bride. Man, the organization has said that themselves. And we're going to try to flip this camera around. I know we're like mirrored, but I'm going to work on that. Mr. Tim Rogers. Yeah. But see, it says Zerger's Nation. You know, dark. It's like in reverse, but we'll be okay. Oh, your hat? They're just, we're all like flips. We got to mirror it somehow. But um, we'll live with it. Yeah, it'll be fine. But uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, with this team, I think they needed a jump start, a spark. They got that. But I think with Yamamoto, the number one thing is I remember being at Andrew Friedman's exit press conference and talking to some people there, some insiders, and they told me that the only way they're considering this, only reason they're considering this is because of his age and because you can get a free agent starting pitcher that has the potential to be top five at 25. So it's a 12-year deal. And, yes, with injuries on the rise, starting pitchers' injuries on the rise, that you have him for a very long time, that you get five, six elite years out of this, helps you win one or two World Series, you're happy to give a guy 12 years, and that's the price, really, of doing business. Yeah, same with Otani. I mean, 10 yeah. years, $700 million, that's a huge contract. But, hey, you win one, two, even three. I mean, three World Series would be insane. You win one or two World Series, you're happy. With give me one with a parade, bro. Lit. Give one, me one with a parade. One real World I'll Series die a happy parade. man, I mean, okay? I mean. But, I mean, with the, the team right now, you're expecting multiple, and if you get multiple, that is a successful tenure. Let's get into some of these comments that we got. Nando 390 says, Nando, Cy Young and Rookie of the Year. He is eligible for Rookie of the Year for those who don't know, so he could win the Cy Young and the Rookie of the Year this year. Which my take. I, I mean, I, I don't know my history that well. How many pitchers have done that? One Cy Young and Rookie. It was a Dodger who did it. It was Fernando Valenzuela. Still the only. Player in Bigley history to do that, so yeah, I mean so that would join some uh, some elite company. I right mean that's there. look, I've been I kind of planted my flag on that a couple of weeks ago. Do I believe it? It's kind of a little bit of a homer take. Let's be honest I mean, about that. I mean rookie but, of the year makes yeah. a ton of sense. I mean look I mean, at Sanga. Of the year makes a ton of if sense. it weren't for Corbin Carroll, right? Sanga's right there. Our boy James Outman is right, right there. Here. And look, winning the rookie of the year. I think here's the thing though. I mean, what would be considered a success? Because if he wins rookie of the year, great. But most of the times, when you sign your free agent, right, especially like Garrett Cole, for example, a DeGrom, for example, right, when you sign your free agents, especially starting pitchers that you're making the highest pay in the game, I don't even know if just winning the rookie of the year would be considered a successful season for him, right? I mean, if he's getting $325 million, yeah, I think the yeah. expectations are a little higher than I need top three Cy Young, bare minimum. Yeah. For me to you consider this success. You need a lot success. of Cy Young votes. I need a lot of Cy Young also, votes, yeah. it is year one. Yeah, so it is year one, though. And he's transitioning. Transition, the pitching once a week to pitching on normal, you know, rest in a major league team. Uh, major league baseball is a little different. So I think there is going to be some transition time. But also, on the flip side, there is the idea of, you know, pitchers not, I mean, batters not knowing him as well. As less, fami less familiarity in his first year in the big league. That's absolutely so helpful. So there's kind of a little bit of the, yes, he's transitioning, but also there's going to be less familiarity, so that should help him a lot more. I mean, his stuff is going to be, I mean, if Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts are talking about some insane stuff, imagine what non-all-star yeah. talent MVP level players are going to be And here's the thing. It. like, So I've heard that about the familiarity thing, right? And it's absolutely a thing. But guess what? People were familiar with, like, peak Randy Johnson, right? Still couldn't hit him. If your stuff is good and you have a fastball, multi-plane fastball, you have the cutter, you have the yo-yo curveball, you can steal it for strikes, early counts, the splitty is already the best in baseball when they grade out from stat cast metrics-wise. So my man is absolutely filthy. I think that 
we on, it sounds crazy to say this, but I think there's a chance we could be talking just as much about Yamamoto this year as Shohei Otani. Oh, That's totally, how good he is. I totally agree. I mean, we got a comment here from Scott Slater. He said, give me all of it, Roy, Cy, and wins in October. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. I mean, let's be honest. Awards are great. Can be a dude. Rookie of the year yeah. is nice. Cy Young would be amazing in his first year. But the only thing that matters for the Dodgers right now is October. And like Scott said, if he can win in October, if he can have a big October start, six shutout innings, six one-run innings, multiple starts, yep. one or zero runs, earned run. I mean, that is what we need to see from a player like Yamamoto. That's what the Dodgers need to see. And if Yamamoto, Glasnow, Bobby Miller, Walker Bueller, these guys have good starts in the postseason, this team is going to be unbeatable in October. So all the pressure is going to happen in October. But regular season-wise, it's always nice to have a few awards. You know what I mean? One hundred percent. I mean, it's baseball. Awards matter. Statistics matter. All counting stats matter. Everything matters, right? But the thing that matters most is the World Series. And he proved last year that he pitched in the WBC over 23 innings, had a K per nine at almost 15, then 168 innings in the regular season, and then Game Six of the Japan Series, 14 strikeouts to force a Game Seven, pitched over 130 pitches. So one, stop riding my guy like a rental car, okay? Yeah. <laughs> leave some. Some mileage, leave some gas thing for us Dodgers right there. My orgs Buffaloes out there. But still, he's got that dog in him. And, yeah, we could talk about Yamamoto for days. But when it comes to the starting pitcher front, really the big talk yesterday was the news about Walker Bueller. And it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. Walker Bueller is unlikely to pitch during the Cactus League. Although he did say he was hoping to sneak, Ste in, sneak in at, at the yeah. end. But I don't think he's going to sneak in. <laughs> Look, Dave said Dave things, and the word salad is he is throwing the baseball very well. When he gets into a regular routine of facing hitters, it will be more clear. Right now, I don't even know the return for Bueller. He is unlikely to pitch in Cactus League games. So, one, doesn't shock me at all whatsoever. I asked Brandon Gomes during Dodger Fest about him. He said that his bullpens have been outstanding, but, and every time you hear the qualifying of the but, it just feels like they're doing what's right for the player. They're doing what's right for the team. Because if he's someone that's not ready to go five, six innings, and you're having to use starts where he's going three to four innings and he's kind of rehabbing, getting back on the fly, when you have the depth that you have, when you have younger pitchers that can fill innings, the Emmett Chins, the Groves, the deeper than that. You can go the Knacks, the Gavin Stones. You can go deeper into it. And I think that the silver lining of all this is you get a chance to see what these guys look like early on the season. You get a chance to develop these younger Dodgers pitchers that can either A, be contributors for this year's team, or B, you can use as trade chips if you need to get a starting pitcher later. Let's not Let's not lie about this. Let's be honest about this. There's a pretty decent chance that there's, for some reason, going to have to look for an elite starting pitcher at the deadline or before that. Just that's, that's how things have shaken out. You had 52 starts from the rookies last season. So I would not rule that out. But I think that this really speaks more to the depth of the Dodgers. Because another team that is desperate for Walker Buehler might already have him starting no matter what. Because this is someone that was trying to get back for the postseason last year. And then you wait five months and what, he's not ready to go? And he talked about on his podcast, he's sitting 92, 93. I'm guessing with adrenaline in a big league game, he could pump 95, 96. So I think he could give it a go if he wanted to and they needed him. But I think they're thinking long term. They're thinking October. And think about him as a player. This camera has a mind for, of its own. Yeah. But don't worry, guys. Just the first of many, many streams here down in Arizona. We are here live in Arizona at our hotel room. Dodgers off day. We will be at the GM meetings. We'll do another live right there. Giving you all the up-to-the-minute Dodgers content. So definitely subscribe. Follow us both on Twitter 
at Noah Cambris. He's always bringing the fire tweets, the fire. He brings his facts to the fight, as they say. And uh, you can follow me at DMAC underscore. And also follow Dodgers Nation, all of our social channels. Yeah, I see a lot of questions about Bueller in the chat. Um, like, what has he been doing for the last six months? How is he not healthy? Here's the thing. First of all, he came back from a second Tommy John surgery. The fact that he was even attempting to come back last year just shows how much he wants it and how much he wanted to help this team, especially in October. But that was only 12, 13 months after Tommy John. You don't want to rush a second Tommy John. So now we're what? We're more the 18 months range. Typical recovery is 18 to 24 months is what Bueller has said multiple times. So it's not absurd that he's not starting the year. And the Dodgers are also being extra careful, like you said. One, because they can, because they have the depth. And two, because the only thing that matters is him being ready in October and him bringing his 2.94 career postseason ERA to October. And with Bueller right now, he's said yesterday to Sportsnet LA, he doesn't want to come back early where he's going to be hurting the team. Like you said, if he's only going two, three innings, that is taxing a bullpen way too early in the season. And a few months ago, Andrew Friedman spoke about it, and he said, we're still deciding how to temper his workload, whether it's start the season, take a, you know, a break in the middle, and then finish the season, or just long, slow play it, and then come back in whether May, June, whatever it be, and then have a full rest of the season. And that makes a lot more sense because it doesn't hurt the pitchers early in the year. It doesn't potentially hurt his arm, you know, trying to go too early. And so to answer your question, Nando Renati, he's not behind schedule. Nando. He's not behind schedule at all. He's just going at this pace, which makes perfect sense because the Dodgers can have afford that luxury to have him go at this pace because they have a plethora of starting pitchers right now. They have six, seven, eight, at least eight pitchers, maybe nine pitchers who could start on opening day if they needed it. So they have more than enough talent. And yeah, with Walker Bueller, the only thing that matters is him being ready in October. And there's no need to have him pitch in April or even May for that matter if they're not going to think that he can be ready to go in October. I like that. And I think that I like what Mario says over here. Not to worry, guys. We pretty much have a nine-man rotation. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of depth. And here's the thing. You don't want to thrust him back into a situation because no one's going to remember May. No one's going to remember April, right? People are Especially going to remember October. Team. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Is, obviously, you don't want to say anyone's a lock to make the playoffs, but there's any team that is a lock to make the playoffs, it's this loaded Dodgers roster. I mean, they've done it the last 11 years. They got better this year. Their starting rotation is better. They did it last year with a makeshift starting rotation. They were, they were throwing out anyone who could – throw a baseball to pitch at some point in last year. So the fact that this year they are built to win, I mean, yeah, you don't want to say it's a lock, but this team is set up to make the postseason. So they, they don't need to win games in April. They don't need their best players to throw their arm out in April when the only thing that matters is Raider in the year. And yes, so Alex said, wasn't Bueller almost ready in August? Yeah, he was trying to come back August, September, but that would have been rushing it. And he tried. He, he made one rehab start, I believe. And it just, it, it wasn't worth trying to rush back when, he wasn't going to be 100%. He may have been hurting the team more than helping them. And also, he may have been hurting himself, which is the worst thing he could have done because you don't want to re-injure your arm after a second Tommy John surgery. That's, that's the last thing you want to do. Yeah, and I think this has a lot to do with Walker Buehler, too. I think that Walker knows his body. He's extremely intelligent. He might be one of, if not the smartest, baseballers I've ever had a chance to talk ball with just because he has been through this process. This is not his first go-around with this injury. And he also knows how his body feels when he's elite. When he's, like you said, a sub-three postseason pitcher that's pumping 98 and 99 on the mound, getting himself out of jams. Because I think that Bueller realizes that I don't need to throw 175 innings to get paid, right? Give me your best 100-plus innings and look dominant in the postseason, and there's going to be a big contract I mean, waiting for Tyler you. Glasnow. I Tyler mean, Glasnow. Tyler Glasnow. Bueller should look at yeah. Glasnow and say, that's what you need to do to make money in this league. 
Last year, career high, 120 innings, 19 starts, and he gets a five-year, $136.5 million extension. Why? Because his stuff translates, and he's going to come up big in the postseason. He's going he's to be a, maybe a number two starter in the postseason. So Bueller knows that that's how he can make his money. He knows that – and just to answer some of these questions, I mean, people are saying, so is Bueller not ready? I mean, I think I saw a comment. Yeah, so six months later, he's still not ready? No, no. Bueller could pitch. If the Dodgers needed Bueller to pitch, if Bueller wanted to go out there and you know potentially risk whatever, he could pitch. I mean, he could for sure pitch right now, but they don't need to. They've decided to slow play him, and he's decided to slow play himself because, one, again, why risk an injury? I mean, why? There's no need. He's entering a contract year, too. Two, the Dodgers have more than enough depth. And three, the only thing that matters for this specific team is being healthy in October. So there's, there's just no need for him to And when do you have that depth, right? At the beginning of seasons when, when no one's <laughs> gotten injured yet, right? Yeah, so that's really healthy. the most important thing. And I think, too, just I do think they're thinking on a deep level and develop these young guys, evaluating, assessing what they have in him. But, look, on the flip side, just to lay a little devil's advocate here, is that he's going to have to make those starts at some point. And even if he's throwing 96, it's still going to be his first start back in a long, long time, right? Since 2021. It's going to be, I mean, a very, I mean, since 2022. It's going to be a very, very long time, right? Since that Giants game where they were in the all blue uniforms, and that was it, right? And we saw in that game with the uh, City Connects that he was overcompensating with his fastball. There was a couple of times that game, I was like, wow, Beeler's hitting 97 again, but it's because he was chasing velocity. And I think that is the number one question I'm looking at moving forward, Walker Beeler, is, is there any chance that the pre-injury, the pre-2021 Walker Buehler is in there, where he's someone that's throwing the four-seam fastball over 50% of the time, where he can use that four-seam fastball elevated up in the zone. When you can do that, you dominate hitters. Because let's be honest, I think this is more of a reinvention for Walker Buehler than getting back to who he was. And, I mean, looking at Noah Syndergaard, right? You can't be the Noah Syndergaard philosophy. You have to say, okay, what did Clayton Kershaw do when he lost his velocity? The command was pristine. He threw the slider more than he did the fastball. If you look at his velo in 2022, 95.2 miles per hour. 2019, 96.5. And it, it's, you look at that number, like, okay, you know, it's pretty close. But it's the percentage of times he threw that pitch. He went with a 33.8% clip. He's going with the curveball, going with the cutter. Very different pitch mix. Very different version of Walker Buehler. We saw him throw that complete game against Arizona. That's a testament to his will and how he can gut starts out there. But, yeah, I have no issue with this at all whatsoever for all the points that really we've talked about. But I do think that just talking to Walker Buehler at FanFest, I asked him about, okay, what is the signing of Yamamoto, the trade and extension of Tyler Glass now? What did that tell you about your future with this team? He looked at me and kind of had this smile. He said, it's up to them, right? So that tells me that he wants to be a Dodger, that – he wants to prove to them this season that, you know what, you got to throw another contract for a guy like myself. So he has a lot riding on this season for himself and for the team. And I think he's very in tuned with his capabilities at this point of his career. And I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I think Dodger fans are excited to see him back on a mound. I mean, it's been a while since he's been on the mound. I mean, this guy was – He could be the leader of that – uh, he's the I mean, leader. This guy, wasn't, I mean, this guy was the ace of the Dodgers. Yeah. He was taking the torch from Clayton Kershaw. And then, you know, injuries got the best of them. So there, there's no need to rush it. And I think Dodger fans are going to be excited whenever he takes the mound. You know, it's going to happen May, June at the latest. He's going to be back on a Dodger Stadium mound. And, yeah, I mean, I think everyone's remembering it. I mean, everyone's forgetting about Bueller in the sense that Yamamoto, Glasnow, Bobby Miller made a name for himself last year. Bueller was the guy in this rotation. So if Bueller can just, like you said, maybe reinvent himself a little bit but get back to being one of those dominant, he's a top 
two of the top mm. pitcher in baseball. So that's kind of like the almost the, the luxury for the Dodgers now is you know you have Yamamoto, you have Glasnow, you have Bueller, you signed James Paxton, you have you know someone like Emmett Sheen, you have these guys. But Bueller's now the luck of Clayton Kershaw, of course. I forgot he'll come back later in the year. Hopefully, but Bueller. Hopefully, but Bueller is that luxury of you know if he can get back to even close to where he was in 2021. I mean that is going to be. A weapon, especially come October. And I think t- getting back to 2021 is a lot more realistic than getting back to 2020 or before that when he kind of evolved. He was one of five pitchers that threw over 200 innings that season. They worked him hard, and he went to – me pitched on short rest against the Braves, gave the homer to Rosario, didn't like that bad thing, checking out the hard stuff too much too many, too many times that I cut her. But still, I think that he has spent the time off knowing what's effective for him with what his arm can do at this point. And I will say, though – that a lot of pitchers will tell you, it's not necessarily the velocity, it's the feel, and it's the confidence in attacking hitters in the zone. How quickly can you get that back? Some say it's more of a two-year process, right? It's the second year after you've been back. So I do think that it's important for Dodgers fans to kind of recalibrate expectations for Bueller and just, I don't want to say take what we can get, but the chances of 2019, 2020, 2018 World Series Game 3 Bueller, Butane is a little unrealistic, but I definitely think that he can be a quality arm that is no worse than a number three in a World Series championship aspiration rotation. And that's all the Dodgers need. And it is. Because yeah. they have Yamamoto, they have Glasnow. Again, Bobby Miller was looking like a future ace of this team last year. He's now their number four starter. So the depth is there. You know, James Paxton could surprise some people. You know, Clayton Kershaw hopefully comes back later in the year. So they don't need Walker Buehler to be an ace. They don't need him to be a workhorse. They yeah. just need him to be a solid. I mean, I think about what Kershaw did at the end of last season, regular season. He was kind of going four to five innings every start, but he was limiting damage. 75 pitches, no runs, one run, no run. I mean, he was just limiting damage. If Buehler can just do something like that for the Dodgers in the regular season, that will go a long way. And in October, you know, Dave Roberts doesn't like to leave the stars out there long anyway. So three, four, five innings. I mean, as long as he's pitching well, that's all the Dodgers need from him. They don't, they don't need him to be an ace workhorse, that's for sure. They don't, and the Dodgers are going to have him back on the mound when it's best for him and the team. So not worried at all whatsoever about that. But it was a very interesting story. It was from Dylan Hernandez. He did a story about Mookie Betts. And I just want to read it so I don't mess this up because I don't want to – Taking words out of his mouth, but he said, Betts is also prone to extended periods in which he completely disappears. The extreme fluctuations in performance, coupled with his relatively low-key demeanor, have made each question his commitment. Now, I stop right there and say, which teammate? He ran away. It's like, to be continued. I mean, I think if you're going to throw something, that's one of the boldest things I've seen this time of year about a superstar, saying that his teammates... Question Mookie Betts, who a lot of fans out there question because and everything else, which I'm here to tell you doesn't hurt him in a negative light. One, who are those yeah, teammates? Who? And two, is that something you follow up on? I mean, I think you have to if you're Dylan Hernandez. I mean, I don't know how that question hasn't been asked. Obviously, you're not going to ask Dylan. He's not going to tell you who. But, you know, you could go ask Dave Roberts about that. You could go ask one, like some of the players. Like, are, do you guys not? think that Mookie Betts is committed I mean like it's a very weird thing to just say out there and yeah like it kind of came in a weird spot where it's just like kind of like threw it in like in the middle of like the 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 story and like it, it wasn't like expounded upon yeah. so definitely weird the bomb that I know ran away if anything that that's a story in itself I mean yeah. like if, if that's his story then, then that that's a story but yeah I, I don't know I mean obviously we have I have no knowledge of any players who have ever questioned Mookie Betts commitment especially doing it to a journalist is a little weird because like, you know it's going to come out no if you're a teammate if you're a teammate that feels that way, 
It's not Freddie Freeman, their boys. No, right? Not. It ain't Jason Hayward, their boys. Wasn't JD Martinez, their boys, right? Wasn't Clay and Kershaw, right? But if you're a player that said that for a about a player that's a three hundred sixty five million dollar man, your ass is getting traded. Yeah. Okay, the Dodgers aren't going to have players like that. The Dodgers could not stuff care like less. That. So about, about I'm <laughs> calling BS on this story. I truly am. I mean, it's not like him to write something that you know he hasn't heard. So I, I mean, I would just I would love to know who these players are. I mean, I'm, that, not say, yeah. I'm not saying he's making no, stuff it, up. No, I mean, there's no I'm way not. he'd make it up. But I, yeah, I mean, I'd love to know a little bit more but about what does who these players are, who's questioning his commitment. Let's just open this up to you guys down below. What do you make of those comments from Dylan Hands of the LA Times saying that some of Mookie Betts' teammates have questioned yeah. his commitment? Because look, yes, he went 0 for 11 in the NLDS. Yes, he's gone 1 for 21 last two postseasons combined. Guess what? A lot of players go 0 for 11 during three-game stretches during the year. It's a small sample size. I know it sounds like I'm defending Mookie Betts. I'm just pointing out that he's still a top-five player in baseball that is actually going to, I think, have more success in the postseason. I mean, he's like 39 home runs. I mean, over 100 RBI. I mean, he was fantastic in the regular season. After August, he tailed off, right? Was he not committed when he had 51 hits in August, right? I mean, I've seen – I've been on that field – and I will tell you this, Mookie Betts works as hard as any of them. He works as hard as Freddie Freeman. He works as meticulously as Otani. He puts in the work. His, if you want to say he's not, he's an athlete, and he has interests outside of baseball. And yes, things can, guys can do things differently. I mean, Michael Jordan freaking golfed a million holes in between a NBA Finals game in '93 and has 56 points, right? So I definitely think that you want to back that up with your play, but. I don't know. This is just, I find this story pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, really the, here's the thing with Mookie. And, like, obviously, it, it, it's weird to say if he just had a little postseason success, this would be a non-story. Because yeah. he didn't. But if he had a little postseason success, this would be a non-story. I mean, like, not a single person would ever question Mookie Betts because of, I mean, yeah, 39 home runs, 100-plus RBIs, you know, moving to second base. I mean, he did everything. He played shortstop. I mean, he did everything for this team. And, yeah, he has outside interests. So do a lot of people. I mean, just because Mookie Betts starts a podcast and bowls, like, it doesn't mean he's not committed to playing baseball. I mean, you, you, you don't get he's chopping it up with his homies <laughs> you don't get this good by accident like it like, like like you think of you think of okay there's how many players in the mlb i mean less than 800 so less than 800 of the less than 800 he is in the top 0.01 percent in terms of greatest players so to get to that level that is an absurd amount of commitment care i mean he's played multiple positions he played multiple positions at a high level he leads off he'll bat second he'll do whatever the team needs to win and he just does it in his own manner of just yeah maybe he's a little laid back but that's not a bad thing he doesn't he doesn't love talking to the media because he just wants to go out there and show what he can do and that's play great baseball so to make any question about his commitment i think is crazy and and to be clear dylan harris wasn't questioning his commitment in the article he was, he was just saying one of his yeah, teammates he was saying one of his teammates yeah. did so the question is is and if that's true, which teammate is that? And yeah, like you said, that, that teammate wouldn't last. I'm driving to the airport. <laughs> I mean, that, like, that, that teammate's that not going to last because yeah, who, yeah, who was you, that you know it's not one of the high played yeah. players. I mean, it's, so if that's the case, then I mean, I, it, I it doesn't make this sense. This story needs to be expanded upon is kind of my main point here. But you look at his baseball savant page. I mean, expected slug 97. It's all red. I mean, it's, it's all red. red. The it, murder it, scene here. It's absurd. I mean, average exit velocity 94 percentile. He doesn't hate baseball like Anthony Rendon. He hates baseballs, oh, no. right? <laughs> I mean, the way he attacks pitches in his barrel control. I mean, look, I, I think that it'll be very interesting to see if Mookie gets wind of this in any way. And I'm not saying it'll have an impact or be there'll be drama because of it. You'll see a schism in the Dodgers clubhouse. But, yeah, I mean, 
if you don't sign Shohei Otani this offseason and you don't bring in Yamamoto, I mean, Mookie is probably the story of spring training and the fact that he hasn't been able to come through in the last two postseasons. And yeah, our, our very active camera has a, <laughs> has mind, a mind of its own. Of its own. It's but yeah, I thought that was just something just really that kind of made me think, okay, who is it? Are they going to expand upon it? Does this get to Mookie? How will Mookie respond to this? But end of the day, look, I know that Mookie's had his ups and downs, but he's still an incredible player. And I, I talked to Mookie during Dodger Fest, and one thing that he said is like, look, I mean, as far as like changing my routine and what I did in the offseason, I had a great year last year, right? You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.